Hey, we're back. Baseball's back. Willie, did you forget to tell somebody that baseball was back, perhaps? You know, I got busy. I, I was preoccupied watching football. <laughs> I think you were supposed to tell somebody that, that baseball was back. I think there's a certain uh, GM that nobody nobody told. You know, sometimes <laughs> uh, people fall asleep on the job. I was talking to somebody today, and they – she confessed to falling asleep on her job, and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, maybe somebody in Cleveland's front office uh, has fa fallen asleep. I'm convinced they got a little confused on a memo, though. You know, they added a member to the FO when they needed to add a member to the OF. Oh, that could be it, yeah. That just got uh, – are they using a fax machine? Maybe the fax just kind of uh, <laughs> cut that part of the ink off. Rounds. <laughs> Yeah, the one that didn't work for Hugh Jackson. Good thing. Yeah. Who was that trade for? That was... Uh, uh, A.J. McCarron, uh, I think his name is. A.J. McCarron, man. Here's the Bengals backup. I love that Hugh Jackson still has a job, and he's still out there, you know, causing havoc and doing making terrible decisions. I, I love that the guy just gets a million chances. Good for him, because, you know... Nobody deserves Everybody more deserves than the guy. Everybody deserves as chances as he's had. <laughs> right? Especially when you screw up as often as he has. Uh, this is the Guardians of the Future podcast. I'm Justin Latta. Willie Hood is back with me after, it's been what? It's been a few weeks. Uh, yeah, it's been a few weeks. Welcome to the new Browns Football Insider. <laughs> yes, this is uh, Cleveland Browns Football Insider. Uh, we're changing our format. We're going to talk completely about uh, quarterbacks who not can't finish the joke. You know what? I can't even make a joke about that because it's just not right. <laughs> it's just not right. Um, well, we can talk. We can talk about how, how uh, the football team cut its two most um, veteran leaders to save some money. You know that sounds like. Uh, a regular thing in Cleveland that people get mad about just now that it's now that it's happening in another franchise, right? Well, they did trade for a wide receiver, I think from the Cowboys or something like that. I don't know. I don't watch football close enough anymore. They've lost my interest. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, uh, I've completely kind of drowned all that stuff out. Unfortunately, um, it's very annoying. I wish, I wish I still had interest in it, but I, I haven't had any interest on that side of things since the Johnny Manziel era. And, you know, they're, they continue to make decisions that are, that are similar to that. So, yep. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's our show today. Thank you for, for tuning in. We just wanted to get that out there. No, 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 um, we've ticked everybody off. Have a good one. Yes. Yeah, so we've ticked everyone off. That's enough. Um, no, this, this really, I was hoping we'd get some good comments and some, uh, some, some live, uh, some live viewership to, um, you know, kind of vent about things. I feel like it's been a frustrating. What are we going on here? Not, it's not, not been quite a week since baseball's back yet. Um, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> in some cases, I feel like baseball never came back because nothing's just really happened in Cleveland. Like I know, a lot has happened, but for Cleveland, unfortunately, nothing, unfortunately, has, happened nothing has happened. And, and, um, 
we still have things. I got, we're we're here to talk about things that haven't happened. That's how bad it is. We're we're back doing this to talk about things that have not happened yet, and that's that's very frustrating. Let's um, speculate about the off season. When when does the off season begin? Um, I don't know. It's still pretty warm out, so it must be fall. So when it snows again, which okay. that could be that could be next week for all we know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> this weekend, <laughs> right? It could be this weekend. I don't know. It's supposed to be sixty the rest of the week, but. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just been it's been very slow, very frustrating. I feel like, um, all all this time off. I don't. I mean, I know it takes a while for things to to, to happen, but you know, a lot of significant moves have happened, and um, you know, teams play their first games on Friday for the spring finally, and um, you know, outside of some small stuff that's really has very minor impact. Um, not much has happened. Do you want to go over the moves? Do you want to do some reaction to CBA first? What would you? Yeah, I, I've got a question. Is there a, a trade that you feel like Cleveland could have beat that or Cleveland could have made? Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Cause you know what? Um, somebody asked me that on Twitter as well. And I know you had a good response to somebody else. Um, I don't know. I, I told, I think it was, it was Chuck or, or, um, or maybe it was somebody else who said, you know, who, who, what package would this look like if Cleveland it was the Matt Olson trade? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Atlanta gave up and, and look, they gave up Christian Pache, Shane Langoliers, Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes. Um, where they're ranked in terms of like number one, number two, whatever, that all varies site to site, you know, whether it's only pipeline, fan graphs, baseball, America, prospects, live baseball prospectus, you know, all that kind of changes. So, those things are subjective. So a, you have to take those things with a grain of salt and, and understand it's not apples to apples because I would say even before the trade, Cleveland had a better farm system than Atlanta. Wouldn't you? I know, I know we're, we tend to be a little bit biased here, but I think, I think even taking a step back and looking from an unbiased view, I think Cleveland had a better farm system than Atlanta before that trade. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think for Cleveland, it's more, um, depth and, and quality of depth throughout the system. I think we had 28, 29 guys that had a 45 or higher. And then you get a bunch of forties that almost went into the fifties, even um, as far as our 40 rated prospects go. I don't n- know that Atlanta has that quality of depth. I haven't looked at their system in a while. Definitely familiar with Shay Langoliers um, and some of the other players in their system. But, you know, I, I kind of tried to equate that or say the equivalent of that to what Cleveland has um, using MLB.com as a reference point, which is tricky. But, you know, one site had Estes, I think, number six, if that says anything about his talent. So he was the 14th ranked prospect. Um, they had a six ranked prospect and then number one and number two prospect with was Pache. Langoliers and then Kusick, which was the six rank prospect. I said for Cleveland, that would equate to something like, you know, um, George Valera, Daniel Espino, Gavin Williams, and uh, Brian Lavastida, which is using the same formula, so to speak, that the Oakland A's received as a return, which is. In one outfielder, one catcher, and two pitchers. 
So they're kind of sticking with the same scenario and trying to stick with rankings, saying that's the kind of return that they would get. And I just don't see Cleveland ready to give up that sort of package for a player of Olsen's ability. Now, if Olsen had the eight years of control that he does now, um, I think that would have been different. I suspect that Oakland got as much as they did because they were already in conversations with Olsen, um, assuming that the A's gave them permission to negotiate with him. They probably gave him a, a few-day window. They used that window to work out this deal, which was ultimately signed today. Good deal for Olsen. I think it's a good deal for the athletics. Um, hate to see Freddie leave Atlanta. I know the fans down there will be disappointed too. Um, game of baseball is tough sometimes, you know, you have to make decisions and that, that means, um, letting people walk when you don't want to see them go and bringing in new talent sometimes. And they did bring in one of the, I think one of the most talented baseball, baseball, one of the most talented first baseman in baseball is what I was trying to say. Yeah. From that perspective, I think that Atlanta got the better of that deal as far as, um, you know, Freddie Freeman is obviously a legend in Atlanta and is a really great ball player. Um, Matt Olson is probably better for them long term at this point. Yep. You know, given the age difference, and um, it it sounds like they offered Olson roughly the same contract they offered Freddie Freeman. He just turned. I think I think they gave Freddie five and one fifty, and he said no. And you know, he's thirty two, and Matt Olson's I think twenty eight or something. Yep. Uh, you know, and they gave him an eight-year deal, so that that's a little bit different. But he, he it was one one sixty-eight, and I think Matt, I think Freddie Freeman's going to get like six and one eighty, so it's a little shorter of a of a a contract, and it goes a little bit later in his career because he's older, and it's a little more money in the short term. I don't know they could have gone wrong either way, but um, you know, as hard as it is for Atlanta fans to swallow, I think they upgraded first base. The problem is, you know, did they trade? A lot of guys that could help their roster in the short and in the short term. Like, would would they be better off with um, with Freddie and those prospects, or are they better off with Matt Olson? I don't know, but that's not the point. I I, I saw your comp on the trade, and I don't think you're wrong um, using that same formula. I just I always people ask that all the time about trades, and I'm like, okay, well, <clears throat> a Rankings are subjective, like I said, from yep. site to site, depending on who you want to trust. And B, um, Atlanta, I, I don't think, it, like you said, Atlanta's system is not as deep as Cleveland. So Cleveland could have traded Espino, Valera, and La Vestida, and um, who was there pitching? Williams? Did you say Gavin Williams? Yeah. Oof, maybe maybe would... we're talking Logan T. Allen or Cody Morris instead of Williams. I think that's probably your difference in quality, though. Um Overall talent, maybe too, because I I view Lavastida as a potential fringe um, backup, possible starter catcher, but I don't think he's an everyday catcher. In my opinion, I don't think he's there yet. Could he develop? Yes, he's still what twenty three. Um, that's the thing with these prospects; you never know. But I'll also point out that with Freeman leaving Atlanta, Atlanta's going to pick up that comp pick, and with that pick also a few million dollars for the draft. So in essence, they're going to wash losing Kusick. Um, so losing, losing Ryan is, yeah. is a wash, you know, kind of the way I see it. So to me, it's a good play for Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta comes out pretty sweet and Oakland gets a pretty relative now return too. I think Estes still needs some more time. I've not seen a whole lot of him. 
Um, I know he's a, a pretty talented prep arm from a few years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to make those comparisons. Like I said, systems are different. Um, I think Christian Pache probably rates, I don't know, it depends on how much you believe in the hit tool for him, if he's going to hit, because obviously he's an elite I, defensive I center fielder. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, he could be an average hitter. But look, if he's even an average hitter, he's probably a 55 overall because that defense and speed are so good. Um, yeah, I, I'd give his bat a 45, but, I mean, that's my opinion of him. I just think he's going to be an excellent player with some speed out in center field. He'll be an exciting player for Oakland. And if he hits 240, 250, uh, you know, plays great defense, very valuable piece for them. So it, that almost sounds like he is a little bit lesser version of Miles Straw then. Could be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, you said Miles Straw is like a 260, 270 hitter. Yeah. Um, who plays great defense and has a lot and and um, can steal bases? Pache, if you're saying he's a two sixty or two fifty or two forty hitter, um, you know, not not uh, that's not quite as much. But it's so hard. I think I, I, the reason I think it's so hard to compare these things is because, like I said, Cleveland system is built differently than Atlanta's Cleveland, um, and I don't think we don't know if if the ask of Cleveland was the same ask of Atlanta, because we, we've seen this before. I remember it feels like eons ago now because some of these players are, are out of baseball now, but I remember it might've been the 2015 offseason. I remember the Reds were looking to trade Todd Frazier and, you know, there's rumors going around about how the Reds wanted um, Danny Salazar. They wanted um, Clint Frazier and they wanted some other pitcher too. I think they wanted um, Mike Clevenger or something or whatever, whoever it was. And then and Bradley Zimmer at the time. And everyone's like, no, that's crazy. That's too much for Todd Frazier. And then they ended up trading Todd Frazier for like pennies on the dollar. And um, everyone's like, well, why didn't why didn't the Indians beat this? And it's like, well, it's reasonable to say that they they asked for different things in the system because look in 2015. The Indian system wasn't as good as it is now, um, and, and they they could have easily sustained this if they made if they made this trade. It would have been painful, but they could have taken the hit and still had a very good system. But like you said, for two years of control, they're probably thinking they're not willing to sacrifice that much. But we don't know how they matched up because um, you know Oakland could have preferred Christian Pache to George Valera. They could have they could have. I mean, look, I think the other thing is too because of how bad the the te- the system has developed outfielders. I don't think there's a trade where an outfielder is on the table. I don't think they ever trade Valera or maybe even Steven Kwan because they've been so bad at developing outfielders. They can't afford to trade from that position. They can trade from shortstops because we know they have a lot of that and they can trade for pitching. So if Oakland didn't want one of those middle infield prospects as the headliner, maybe they preferred Pache. Um, the pitching, I'm sure Cleveland could have matched. I mean, Cusick, I don't really know much about yet. Um, I'm just going by Fangraphs board. They've got him at a 45. Cleveland's got plenty of 45 arms. Um, interesting that, you know, Oakland didn't want Drew Waters, maybe. Uh, or maybe Atlanta didn't want to include him, and that's why they gave somebody else up. I don't know. Um, we just don't know how they how they would match up in a trade. I think Langoliers is, is definitely a better defender than Lavastida by far. Um, 
that's a big deal for Oakland because they already have a gold glove catcher who they're probably going to trade, right? So they can replace him with Shea Langoliers. Bo Naylor is probably more of a question mark on both ends of the ball right now than Shea Langoliers, so I give him that. I mean, yes, could Cleveland have, have given them a package that would have worked? Probably. But would they have had to pay more because, um, you know, Atlanta offered different things and they preferred Atlanta's package and Atlanta was going to take the time to to negotiate with Matt Olson on an extension. That's the only reason they're going to trade for him. Because, look, maybe, maybe Atlanta, like you said, maybe Atlanta doesn't trade for him if they don't get a chance to negotiate an extension. They have a window and they got it done. Um, maybe if they're not afforded that ability, they don't give up as much, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I really do believe that played a role in it, and that's why we saw Olsen with the extension today. You know, mm-hmm. um, they had to plan and move on from Freeman, and they knew that. They also wanted to spend some of the money that they brought in from winning the championship last year, and I can't remember the name of the uh, company that owns the Braves now, but you know, they're flush with money, especially after winning the World Series this year. And they invested <laughs> right. back in the team. And it's unfortunate to see, like I said, Freeman go, but they also put eight, eight years down on Olsen now after acquiring him. And I, like I said, I, I just suspect. I don't know. Uh, maybe it'll come out. Maybe it won't. But uh, I just think that that was a scenario where they had that opportunity. They had a few days to negotiate and were able to pull off the deal. Just my opinion. No, I think I think that makes a ton of sense. You're right, and and I I don't think Cleveland, no matter what they were doing, was going to offer Matt Olson that kind of money and that kind of contract. No. Um, Not until so they would have been Harris making, are on, and we don't know then either. You know, so right, yeah. I mean, they so Cleveland would have made the trade, assuming that um, they were only going to have Olson for two years, which may have may have change what their package was going to be. And that's why Atlanta offered more. Cause like you said, they had the ability to extend him and ah, man. Okay. I was going to bring this up earlier. Atlanta just signed Colin McHugh. And I, I saw a couple people saying this earlier, Colin McHugh, I thought was a good bullpen fit for Cleveland. Yep. Um, but he's off the board too. So that's another guy we can cross off the list. Um, we'll get to more of that later. Um, Brian Shaw will yeah, be back. Oh, no worries. Branch all will be. Uh, you 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 are really choosing violence today with that. Someone asked you a question. You were like Brian Shaw, and I'm like, man, that was really your that answer. Was you, were just, you were just really trying to stir things up today, man. Who, that's me? you know that's concerning. As if Brian Shaw hasn't signed anywhere, he might just he might just Not show up good here. Man, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. Uh, you know what's gonna happen? This is what's gonna happen. Brian Shaw is gonna show up to Goodyear. With his baseball stuff, with his gear, he's going to bring his bag. He's going to he's going to pull a William Mays Hayes. He's going to show up to camp, yep. and he is just going to uh, start pitching. And, and they're like, "Oh, Brian, why are you here?" And he's just going to be I like, "I don't even think anybody would notice," you know. <laughs> like, oh yeah, Brian Shaw's here. This makes a ton of sense. He's always here. Like, they're just going to assume they resigned him. Like that, someone a coach is going to come out and ask him why he's throwing a bullpen, or uh, uh, Austin Hedges is going to be catching him and is going to be like, "I don't even remember talking about signing him," but. Yeah, it's Brian Shaw. Of course, we resigned him. Like, he's just going to show up and start pitching. Uh, no, is that is that Willie Mays Hayes or what is that? Um, I think it was Willie Mays Hayes that just showed up. He woke well, up he was late in his- and ran. Somebody. Well, that was the pajamas thing, but there was somebody else who like he wasn't invited. He wasn't signed or invited. And he just showed. Maybe he did show up. 
they didn't sign him and and they put his uh I don't know. I, I know that I know it's I should know better than this. That movie. I know. Well, you've got plenty of time because it's not like the uh, the Guardians are doing anything. Um okay. well, you had plenty of time hey, over we, the last two months. Justin, we got two catchers. I've been saying they need catching, they need to upgrade catching, and they brought in two catchers, man. Come on. Were were these your were these two guys the top of your list? <laughs> Well, to be fair, to be no, fair, David Fry was somewhere on one of your lists. What's that? David Fry was was on one of your lists. Yes, he was. Uh, he was yeah. one of the guys that I mentioned. Luke Mail, I actually joked around with you because he's been in Pittsburgh. He's been in Toronto, and both organizations function somewhat like Cleveland. I thought Luke Mail makes sense because he's a defensive-oriented catcher. So I mentioned him to you before, and joke. It was a joke that hey, they're going to go out and sign Luke Mail, and that's going to be the backup catcher this year. And then here okay. it turns out they sign Luke Mail as backup catcher. Then I mentioned um, Corey Howell and David Fry. And you just joked up Brian Shaw, so that's going to happen now. Way to go! If, yes. If they sign me. Brian Shaw, I am literally going to tweet that to everybody that it is your fault. Uh, you know, I willed the Trevor Steffen thing to happen last year, too. I, I mentioned him at some point talking to someone and, and said that Trevor Steffen was an arm that, you know, what put me onto it was Jeff Ellis mentioned Cleveland liking him, I think. And I remembered that and I thought, hey, he's a guy that Cleveland liked a few years ago. I, I would not be surprised if they revisit bringing in Trevor Steffen. So lo and behold, they right. picked him in the rule five. Um I mentioned David Fry and I mentioned Corey Howell. So now Cleveland has to pull off a trade for minor league outfielder Corey Howell from the Braves too. So you're all over it, man. You're all over it. Every, uh, you know, you almost, you almost solved the, um, the lockout too. I mean, what was the one of the proposals you put out there or you were joking about um, ended up in the deal, you know, we're talking about kicking the can down the road with the international draft. Yeah. And then, and then I said, Ten minutes um, later, they did what I said. Yes, and I and I said, um, you know, I don't think there's going to be an agreement until the the owners agree to a fifty million dollar pre arbitration bonus pool, and and they got to fifty million. And I said yep. that's that was a magic you, number. You because were they, saying they that for weeks, right? Because the, the the players wanted a hundred, and the owners were offering like thirty or forty, and I'm like, okay, they just got to get to fifty, it'll be fine. And they did. Yeah, and they, the international it's a negotiation draft. trick. They started high. I think they got the 50 that they wanted. I think 50 was the uh, number yeah. and was probably always the number. I just never thought the owners would give that to them. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you meet people in the middle, right? <laughs> Crazy how that works. I think they I think they call that negotiating. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, I, didn't go to, I didn't go to school for that. I think this was a player-friendly deal. I feel like the players made up a lot of ground and, and made some serious gains this time through. Getting a higher base salary, I think over $100,000 higher, um, getting a new pre-arb pool. Now, I can't remember what the um, pre-arb percentage of players is that's actually going to receive from that pool. Is it still 22% or is it is it a higher number? Well, no, it's all pre-arb. I mean, it's okay. anybody who doesn't qualify. So but if one of the players, becomes, all players, any anybody who is not arbitration eligible, yeah, it'll be spread across. That's only only if these players um, qualify for awards. And you can go to guardiansbaseballinsider.com. You can find uh, I did a little co-authored piece with Arthur Kinney 
breaking down the, the entire CBA and how it affects Cleveland. So all the details are on our site on that article, but um, you know, you can, I think it's spread across only pre-arbitration. So if you're, if you're a super two eligible player, you won't be eligible for that bonus pool, which is still 22%, like you 20%. said, but if um, they only get that money, if they finish somewhere in the awards, like if you finish, you know, top three in rookie of the year or MVP or Cy Young. So not just any, any, any pre-arbitration players, the award winning ones or guys who finish somewhere in the award voting. So some of that money might not get paid out at all. And I don't know if it rolls over how that all works, but, you know, at least these young players who do perform well are getting paid for. You know, Shane Bieber won the Cy Young in 2020 as a pre-arbitration eligible player and, yeah. you know, didn't see an extra dime for it based off of that. Yeah. So under this, he would. Um, so, yeah, that was a good thing in the middle. I think you're right. It was – it's a player-friendly deal in terms of they definitely got a better deal this time than they did the last, like, I don't know, three, four cycles at this point. Um, it's, it, and you know, it's probably always going to be owner friendly. That's just how this works because they have the money. They have the, mm-hmm. the control of the team. Um, the, the owners, hire the, <laughs> right. They're, they're responsible for who the commissioner is. The players have no say in who the commissioner is. Um, so it's always going to be owner league, league, uh, leaning, but you know, at least now the, the, the players got more back in the deal than they ever had before. And this sets them up well for the next round. The next round might be ugly again. I don't know. It's six years away, but um, Rob Manfred claims that after this whole ordeal that, you know, he wants to have a better relationship with the players that he called Tony Clark right after the, um, the deal was signed to say, Hey, we should work together better and work to create a better um, collaboration with the players and have a better relationship We'll see if he follows through on that. I don't know. Um, well, I'm not going to wait six years. We will talk about it. I tweeted this and mentioned it to you, but uh, you want to do that, involve the players in the creation of the international draft, bring in David Ortiz and some well-renowned Latino-American players because that is the dynamic that you're really focusing on. I think 70 or 80% of the players come out of Latin America. So – focus on some Latin American players that will have um, a lot of sway and that are highly influential with the players kind of like David Ortiz is, you know, Um, he is well respected amongst the players and he's somebody who I think would be on the forefront uh, or should be on the forefront of helping develop that international draft. If you, if you really want to do that, that's how you do it is you, let the players buy in by being inclusive with the players include some of the most well-respected players and get pick their minds, but also, you know, bring them in on, on a consultant role and pay them to do the job. Yeah. I think you definitely have to, to let that happen because you have to clean some things up. That's, that was the biggest, also the biggest sticking point, but it almost became the, the sticking point for everything because a lot of Latin players were against the draft because it, it takes away some control they have over going to certain teams and, um, you know, causing them to bid up for players, players getting more money because a draft is going to be hard slotted or soft slots. I don't know. Um, and they don't want that. But at the same time, there's a lot of shady things that go on in, in the international um, yeah. signing period. And 
some of that is because Major League Baseball doesn't police its own um, dealings. They kind of let, let these things go unchecked because it's they good for the team. They can choose, like with Atlanta a few years ago, and they, they busted Atlanta's chops, which is, you know, the results were, I think, three years banned from dra- or from signing any international talent, which definitely affected their um, talent pool to, to pull from. Um, I don't remember if they penalized them on the draft end of it or not. I don't think that they did, but I think it was all purely international related. But that's pretty significant at the time because they had a lot more freedom to just sign and spend it as they wanted to. And then they implemented this slot system afterwards. Um, Mm -hmm. I I do think an international draft is a good thing. I don't really like the rotating um, divisions or groups that they're going to have in there. I don't like that idea. I think if you're going to have a draft, do it with a traditional draft too. let teams get the best talent into their organizations. If you're really concerned about rebuilding, this sounds like one of those things from um, owners like uh, Steinbrenner and, and from the Dodgers owners and stuff like that, where they want a fair crack at the first pick rather than um, rather than just doing what I think is the smart thing to do, which is let rebuilding teams get as much talent into their systems as possible. And, you know, there's obviously there's some guys that come through every every year who are older and are going to be more big re- league ready quickly, you know, um, with Cespedes' brother last year even. I, I can't remember if he's debuted or not but he was an older player, I think 23 years old. There's been some international talent come through that um, would be would be on teams like the Baltimore Orioles who are in the middle of a rebuild and not a lot of international players have wanted to go to uh, because they weren't active in the international market for years. And now suddenly they're actually trying to invest some of that money into the international market and they're kind of having to pay a little bit extra to, to do so. I wonder if, if that would include, because you talked about Cuban players, and obviously, you know, Dominican Republic, Venezuela. Um, would that include, like, in, um, players from, like, Korea, like China, like um, Japan? You have Seiya Suzuki coming over this year. Is he is he subject to the international draft or players like that in the future? Um, I, my understanding that would not be because I believe he's over the age of 25. I think anybody – between 16 and 23 would be draft eligible. So anyone over 23 or yeah, anyone over 23, I think would be declared a free agent. If they've already played in a pro league like that, and that confuses me, but because um, some of these younger players in Cuba have played professionally in the national series down there. And, you know, they're, they're required to, meet the requirements of the um, current age group, so to speak. The I think the ones over that are like uh, Suzuki, who you mentioned, a player like him. Uh, Cespedes, if he'd have been older, if he'd have been 25, I think he would have just been a straight-out free agent like Suzuki is. Um, mm-hmm. That's the thing, though, is you don't have very many of these players coming in older. The ones that do are usually they're not, you know, your quality talent or, I mean, they're not going to be big quality talents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely getting more young guys for sure. And than you would for older. I mean, there are examples of guys in Cuba, like Cespedes and um, I'm trying to think of some others, Oscar Colas, who just got signed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what they'll do. I, I mean, it's tough. Like you said, I think they definitely have to have somebody 
who represents the voice down there um, who can make sure this is done right if they're going to do this because it could clean up some of it could take away some issues. You know, you have these, what do they call them? Those scones? Yes. Trainers that they're skimming. Like, you know, Jim Bowden got fired from being a GM because he was skimming bonuses away from international players. Well, these trainers, these Buscones, as they call them, are, are doing the same thing, and you're pre-arranging deals with teams for, for guys that are thir- kids that are 13 years old, um, even though they're not assigned until they're 16. Like, it's it's always the worst-kept secret, um, like, before International Signing Day that, like, Fangraphs always has, or Baseball America always has their board up for international signings, and it's like, a year ahead of time, and they're like, "Oh, a player expected to sign with uh, this team." It's like, "Well, he's not even eligible to sign, so how could they have the agreement's not supposed to be allowed to be in place?" And that's where the shady stuff goes on. And um, like you said, Major League Baseball picks and chooses how they enforce their rules, and that's one of them they they don't bother to check on. So that's one of the ways you hope that the draft could clean up um, all this stuff. And the other way, I mean, I. I I don't know. I need to see more details about it. I hope that's what they do, but it does take away the qualifying offer from if they do this, if they agree to the, the international draft. That's good for um, teams like Cleveland because if they lose a free agent, they can still get a draft pick mm-hmm. for losing a free agent. You know, they go back to the system where I think a, an article XXB free agent gets signed over like 30 or 50 million. They can recoup a comp pick, but if they sign a a free agent, the qualifying offer is gone. They don't surrender a pick, which is how it should be because why should you penalize a team for signing a free agent? I get giving a comp pick to yep. teams that lose one, but they never should have penalized teams for signing free agents. So that that's a good move in my opinion. And it's good for Cleveland. Yeah. And, and that's something that would prevent Cleveland, for example, from signing a player, in my opinion, like Michael Conforto, who if he's going to cost you a draft pick, Cleveland's not going to want to do that, especially in a deep draft. And, you know, that's where that's Cleveland's sweet spot is coming through the farm system and building that talent or developing talent. Um, They've really relied on that the last few years. I mean, look at the pitching staff, look at the team in general, how many of them have been recent draft picks. You know, I think the farm system is starting to produce and we're going to see the fruits of that in the next few years, even with guys like Arias and Freeman uh, Valera, Espino, Williams, maybe Doug Nikhazy, you know, who I wrote up, I think was featured yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Bo Naylor, a, a lot of these guys, these guys are guys that they drafted or areas that of course they acquired through trade, but they've taken time to develop, de- develop him in the system. So, you know, I, I don't see Cleveland being a team that will want to lose a, a draft pick. But with that being said, you know, for example, let's say that they let Francisco Lindor play out his contract rather than training him when they did. He became a free agent and signed the $300 million deal with the Mets. Cleveland would get under the new rules. Cleveland will get a comp pick and a third round pick, which is more compensation than what they receive under the current system with just one pick. I actually like that because this new system when it is in place, we'll compensate teams based on whether it's a large market team, whether it's a small market team and how much the player actually signs for. Um, something also that, you know, I, I'd mentioned that before. I, I think a player over $150 million is worth at least three picks 
but getting two picks for a player of that quality is a good thing in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not basing it on what the team thinks of them because you're not worried about, you know, is the team going to worry about extending someone to qualifying offer because they want the pick back, but it's more based on the value of the player. If, if, if the yeah. Mets see Francisco Lindor as a $300 million player, then Cleveland is not, you know, they're not fairly compensated, but they're compensated better because of multiple picks because they went over a certain dollar amount. Uh, but the Mets so, aren't penalized. Let's, let's um, play this out and use Jose Ramirez as an obvious choice for, you oh, know, yeah. let's say in two years, Cleveland decides we're not able to extend him because he wants $400 million and we're not going to do that. He's probably not asking for that, but that's that's not the point. Um, let's say they let him play out his contract knowing that they have this new system in place, and the system's not expected to be in place before then, so no worries for people on that end. Um, let's hope and pray for an extension in the meantime. But when the new system is in place, using Jose Ramirez as the example, um, you can let him play out his contract knowing that you're going to get two, but you're going to get back two picks. So you're going to get back a compensation pick, and then you would get a third-round pick. Now, let's use that to look at the players that um, in Oakland uh, got yesterday from Atlanta. So your comp pick is going to be a Ryan Cusack type of pick, and your third-round guy will probably be like a Joey Estes. You know, Langoliers was a top-10 draft pick, and – Pache was an international free agent. My whole point in saying this, though, is you're getting you're going to get back talent that will offset some of the talent that you could probably get through trading a, a player of that quality. It makes teams like Cleveland a little bit more motivated to let players play out their contract. Um, one of the few things I think that actually plays to the small market teams' favor in this deal. Um, but I'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I think signing extensions is going to be a little bit harder from the beginning for players is because um, if players, and I'm not saying they're getting, they're getting paid better. They will be getting paid better. Um, $700,000 compared to what the owners rake in in a year is not a lot, obviously, but that's what they're starting at. But, um, you are getting players paid better in the early years than they have been. And you have the pre-R bonus pool. So I wonder if maybe players are like, okay, I'm getting more money in my pre-arb. I'm getting potentially some award money. Um, do I just kind of, you know, get that money and then wait on my arbitration years and cash in that way versus signing an extension? I wonder because Cleveland's bread and butter for extensions was always pre-arb deals, you know? I wonder if that's a deterrent for them, for players to sign pre-arb deals, which, you know, isn't exactly beneficial to Cleveland because they never operated any other way because Jose Ramirez was a pre-arb player. Um, Jason Kipnis, I'm trying to think Corey Kluber was a pre-arb deal and he took almost nothing. Carlos Carrasco took a second deal, but it's because he wanted to stay and they traded him anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, all those are, are pre-arb deals. I wonder if, if those kind of dry up a little bit or you've really got to offer more because 
you know, players know, okay, $700,000 my first year, seven forty or whatever for my next year. And, and if I win some awards, I get some money. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm a good young player, I'm banking on myself. Yeah. I think you can offset that. Um, if I'm running a team the way I do is either just offer another million or offer um, incentives where, Hey, you, I know you just signed this four year deal. You just won the Cy Young because you won the Cy Young. You just kicked in another $500,000. So there's ways to offset that you pitch 30 games. There's $250,000. Uh, you were elected to the all-star team, $250,000. So, I mean, you can quickly cover that just by doing little things like that. And if I was a player, I would want incentives in my deal no matter what, you know. So on top of a normal contract, <laughs> give me any bonuses I can earn. Yeah, that's true. I, they'd have to work it in a way to make that work, to make that more uh, feasible, I guess. And they could, or it wouldn't change much. I just wonder if players will have a chance to bet on themselves a little bit more versus doing – Something like that. Anything else in the CBA? I, I have to go back and look at the article myself, honestly. Was there anything on the top of your head that um, sticks out? You know, we talked about uh, the C, the um, comp picks, the pre-R bonus pool. Obviously, the canceled Rule 5 draft really benefits Cleveland. Um, we've already talked about that at length. Um, the extra playoff yeah. spot. I mean, we, know, we um, know what that means. One thing I didn't hear mentioned, and, and I haven't to this point, but is the use of something – um, tacky stuff, um, like the oh, yeah. the spider. I can't remember what you call it. The spider glue or whatever it is they were calling it uh, that they were using to get a good grip on the ball. Um, spider tack, yeah. That that never seems like that was on the table. I think it should have been for player safety. Um, I'm. I am a, definitely a proponent for pitchers to have something of to, uh, to use, you know, rather than just the rosin bag. I don't believe in just using basically chalk to dry your hands off and yeah. get a good grip on the ball. Yeah, I think I think a lot of players use sunscreen and, and rosin, and that's uh, generally, you know, how are you going to play sunscreen? Like, you know, if you're if you're a baseball player and you're playing on a Sunday afternoon, I'm wearing sunscreen. You know, I, yeah. have, I have fair skin. Um, I don't, I don't care what your skin tone is. If you want to wear sunscreen, just protect yourself from sun cancer. You should be able to, I mean, right. I think that's, that's overdoing it. Um, guys sweat, you know, out yeah. there on the mound, they're dripping sweat, especially in the summertime. I mean, you're going to have fluid on the ball. So if they're dripping sweat, on I the guess ball, if you're, so if they spit on their hands, guess what? They're touching the ball. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you're wearing sunscreen at night in April, I guess uh, that's a little weird. People are going to look at that weird, but I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think we saw some injuries last year with, with the lack of a grip. Um, and, and because Major League Baseball doesn't have consistent um, seams and, and the way that baseballs are made, they're not consistent. So um, players have to be I, I used, think Tyler, to used to that. I think Tyler Glass now cited that as the reason that he had – to have Tommy John surgery because he said that, you know, he was using that pronator, which is right there in your elbow and pressing mm -hmm. on, pressing on the ball harder, which, you know, you get a firmer grip right here and it tore that muscle and that here he is with, I think his second Tommy John surgery now because of it. Yeah. And then that you're right. That hasn't been mentioned at all. So hopefully they can, um, 
hopefully they can figure something out when it comes to that. That is interesting. Oh, more Ken Rosenthal uh, rumors. Blue Jays currently view their chances on Schwarber as better than their chances on Freddie Freeman. Competition for Schwarber remains intense with the Phillies in on the mix. Um, Kyle Schwarber would be great to have for Cleveland too, but haven't been connected to him yet. The only guys they've been connected to, so let's get to some of that. Um, we talked about Matt Olson a little bit. I feel like – I said I felt like they could have they could have beaten Atlanta's offer, but would it have been as palatable because they weren't going to sign to that extension? Yes, it would have been a lot tougher. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, the Jesse Winker thing was interesting because basically Seattle kind of, I don't want to say they bought Jesse Winker, but they agreed to take on all of you, Haney Suarez's money and his contract's not underwater, not totally underwater. I mean, he's, he's a decent player, he's, but yeah, he's got a lot of power. He hasn't been as good. He hasn't been as good outside of great American ballpark. Um, I'd have to look at the splits again and, and park factors and all that, but, um, I saw somebody else points out the other day that he's been playing shortstop a little bit the last two years. That's tanked his defensive value because he's not a shortstop. And his average cratered last year, which was not good, but I think they'll get something out of him where he won't be a total zero. So they 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 took his contract on to get Jesse Winker, but Suarez isn't a bad player. And they gave him what Justin Dunn, who you know what, a fifth starter, maybe a setup guy. Um, Brandon Williamson, who's what Brandon another Williams. three potentially. Yeah, and who was uh, the other number player? Three, was probably, I don't know, possibly, possibly a bullpen arm with Williamson. Then they got Jake Fraley, and then um, to quote uh, what Rosenthal said, said they've got a player to be named later that they're excited about. So whatever that means, you know, it might be a really good young player. Who knows? Yeah, Cleveland could have done that too, but there was no way they were taking on Suarez's contract. No. They, they would have had to given up more to get Winker if they weren't going to take that contract on. But, I, I mean, Cincinnati was clearly motivated to Cincinnati give up was- salary. They've given up Sonny Gray. Salary. Um, who else have they given up already? I mean, they, they, Barnhart, they, um, Nick Castellanos, Wade Miley. Um, yeah, they put Wade Miley on waivers. And that was just a money-saving deal. And, and, I mean, lefties that can be your fifth starter in log innings, I think, have value. But it, it was kind of like what happened with Brad Hand, you know. Hate to bring that up, but, uh, you know, Cleveland lost Brad Hand for nothing. And then Brad Hand turned around and ended up getting more money out of all of it because he got the million option from Cleveland. And then I think right. it was over $10 million to sign with Washington. So, in the end, it, it turned out to be a good thing for Brad Hand. Yeah, that, and he hasn't signed. He signed the Phillies today, didn't he? Uh, I think yesterday with the Phillies for six million. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Colin McHugh, by the way, only got two years and ten million, uh, six million dollar option for twenty twenty four. So, um, pretty and fair deal for I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's I don't a bit see of an going for investment on a reliever. I, I, although I'd like to see him sign Andrew Chafin. Um, That'd be a perfect fit, and he's an old guy. Brian Shaw. <laughs> Brian Shaw. You, Brian Shaw it is. I'm telling you. Weatherman, Brian we're Shaw is an extension. <laughs> Brian Shaw is in Goodyear. I'm telling you, he's already in Goodyear. He's just waiting till Friday to show up, 
And when Tito, you know, taps the right hand to go to the bullpen on Friday for his first reliever, he's going to come sprinting out, and it's going to be Shaw, and Tito's going to be like, oh, yeah, Brian Shaw's here. Okay, that makes sense. That's just going to happen. I'm telling you, he's just going to show up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I and Cleveland was not going to take on the on the Winker, or the um, Suarez contra to get Winker. They would have had to give up more to do it, but I don't know. It seems like the Reds really want to want to save some money, so who knows if the Reds would even – consider trading Winker without tying Suarez to the deal yeah. because otherwise they would have had to, because who else, who else are they going to tie him to? Are they going to tie him to Luis Castillo? Like, I don't know. And Cleveland's got nowhere to put no, They're Suarez not going to tank his value. And they'll yeah. probably hold him mid season, then deal him at, at mid season. Um, Tyler Molly, he only has, I think one year left. Uh, mm-hmm. Amir Garrett. I mean, I don't think you're going to get Amir Garrett either. I think it was either Sonny Gray because he's a decent pitcher or Jesse Winker and you know, it went with Jesse Winker kind of weighed him, him down and that return down for them. But they got ultimately out of $35 million over the next three years, which is what it was really about. Yeah. So that's a Cleveland out of the deal, obviously. And Cleveland had nowhere to play Suarez. I mean, I guess you could have like played Reyes in the outfield some and, and knew Suarez at DH or, put him at third and give Ramirez a day off for, for to DH and maybe Suarez can play some first. I don't know. I, they could have been creative to fit him, but yeah, they were never going to pay that contract um, and also get the prospects to get Winker. So which that deal took them out of it, which would rule out a trade for Eric Hosmer. I know some people have said <laughs> it wasn't Cleveland trade for Eric, Eric Hosmer and um, get prospects with him and, and eat the salary because they're not going to take that much on. There's no future commitments after this year. Obviously, Jose Ramirez is, is an, is, has an option year next year, but it, this gives them a ton of payroll flexibility, and they weren't going to um, kind of stifle themselves in their ability to build the roster the way that they want to with a Suarez contract on there. Uh, I, I will point out, too, though, a, a lot of these – a lot of the players on the team are starting to become eligible. You have Bieber, Quantrill, Reyes – you know, just to name a few, all of these guys are now ARB one next year. They're ARB two. So their salaries are going to be growing and payroll is going to grow naturally with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bieber is ARB one this year. He's ARB two next year. And, um, you know, Zimmer, if he's still here, who knows? Um, yeah, you said Mercado, if he's still here, please sack straw. Yeah. There are some guys to consider that way, but yeah, I, I don't want Eric Hosmer. Uh, you would have to give me like Juan Soto or Shoei Otani to, to take on Eric Hosmer. Uh, there's just no chance. I, I could I could never enjoy that trade um, unless I had one of those guys join. Um, I would, so forget I that. would do Will Myers for Robert Hassel or uh, Luis Camposano. I think Myers only has one year on his deal and then an option for next year. It's a total of uh, $21 million biting or eating the um, option year for next year. Yeah, it's a $13 million average. I don't know. Uh, the problem is Will Myers is probably a better hitter than Bradley Zimmer, but um, he's got terrible defensive value and – both Mercado and Zimmer are projected for more uh, F war than than uh, Myers is, according to Zips. Um, and and year to year war isn't really something you want to hang your hat on. But 
okay, a 103 weighted runs created plus mark is better than Zimmer and Mercado's projection. So I guess offensively you're getting more value, but I don't know. Maybe they should just punt the defense and say, who cares? I, I would do that too. I guess in theory, if you don't have to give up much to get Myers and you take on, you get Robert Hassel in, in the process, you know, you're not giving up much and you're gaining a prospect in a position you have a hard time developing, you know, and, and in the meantime, Will Myers is, is unfortunately an upgrade for you. I guess that makes sense. And we know Cleveland is, is okay dealing with San Diego. So maybe that's in play. I don't know. I, Here's the other thing I'm, I'm having a hard time dealing with. You know, they said this before the lockout started, and Chris Antonetti said it again on the first day. Reporters were allowed to talk to him at uh, spring training. He said, you know, we, we continue to have the payroll flexibility to make additions. My question about that is, though, last year, and I said this to you earlier, last year that payroll flexibility they had, quote-unquote payroll flexibility, was adding – Cesar Hernandez and Eddie Rosario. To me, I think those are moves that you make within the con. I mean, look, they paid Cesar what? Um, six million? Five, and I think it was last year. Five, and they paid he actually took a, Rosario uh, nine? Yeah, and they, they gave him a pay cut to bring him back. <laughs> right, right. So he, he made even less money last year than he did in the year before. But, and, they, and they gave what? Nine million to Eddie Rosario? So these, those are okay. So seven. So those are bargain deals anyway. Yeah. Those are not. Those that's, are not. That's Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson is going to follow in that range. Um, if Cleveland signs him, he's one player that you know that uh, Cleveland was associated with. If we believe the rumors that were out there over the weekend. Um. Yeah. I guess. Um. It doesn't make it. It makes sense that they're connected to him. You know, uh, the checking in and, and look, they're probably going to call every agent and say, hey, what is your client looking for? Are we maybe we're a match like you talked about with Trevor Story? Like, I don't believe that for a second, but I'm sure they called and were like, hey, what is Trevor looking for? Well, Trevor's looking for seven yeah. years, 190 million. OK, thanks. See you later. Um, that's check, quote unquote, checking in. So you can you can say, hey, we checked in on Trevor Story. It doesn't mean yeah. we're interested. We just wanted to see what his price was. So I'm not buying that. Or, I don't know. I'm 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 still sticking or, with Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal and everybody else yeah. is kind of noise right now. Yes. That that's the best approach right now. One of those two, you're good. Um and the only reason you don't mention John Heyman is because he has you blocked. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I can still see him on, on other accounts and I don't need I don't even need to see them because I don't know, he, he has he only has the Boris scoops. We're not signing. Cleveland's not signing a Boris contract uh, client. No, so, no. Um, so don't even pay attention to to Heyman. Mm. Who's the last Jeff one? Michael Bourne, maybe. Yeah, Michael Bourne. Somebody asked that this morning. I said, "What's the last time they signed a Boris client?" I said, "Michael Bourne." Well, Conforto is a is a Bourne is a Boris client. So, and he um, has the, the qualifying offer attached. So forget it. Yeah, not happening. Forget Michael so, Conforto. So where do they go from here then? I mean, Jock Peterson does make sense, right? I think I think uh, he's this year's Eddie Rosario. Yeah, uh, I like him a little bit better than Rosario. I like I think a lot of people like Jock Peterson. I liked him for a while. I have. Um, the weird the weird thing is, you know, he's like a more consistent Zimmer. He's a lot. He's I think Jock Peterson is what we thought Zimmer was going to be. Yeah. 
and never got there. And, and he's Jock Peterson's not really consistent as he used to be, but he's he's more consistent than Zimmer. These these are small upgrades. This is what I'm talking about. How about you know, I, I don't if he becomes available? No thanks. I'm good. <laughs> This team does not need Luke Voigt. Not unless the Yankees are paying. Look, Luke Voigt has played like over 100 games once in his career. Um, yeah, 2019, Luke Voigt played 118 games. His next best season was last year at 68 games, and he's 31. So you're telling me this guy is already a first baseman, um, already has injury issues, and he's 31 on the wrong side of 30? No, no. Yeah, that's just I not he's somebody that, the flexibility. I think he's somebody that the team might have interest in, though. Looking back, I think he had a 30 home run season a few years ago. You know, if they feel like that price is cheap, that might be somebody that they would bring in. Is he a lefty? I can't remember if he hits left-handed or not. I think he does. He's right-handed. Oh, is he? I must be. Yeah, he's a right then. He's a right-right first baseman. He strikes out a ton. 30% strikeout rate last year. So you're going to pair him with Bobby Bradley and you're going to win power progressive field. Hey, okay. You bring in Luke Voigt, you bring in, you, you pair him with Bobby Bradley, you strike out a crap ton. Yeah. You, you convert so they, that win they, energy. What you're saying is they already have Luke Voigt on the roster and Bobby Bradley. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. Luke Voigt <laughs> probably has a better hit tool than Bobby Bradley. Unfortunately. I, yeah, I think so. I, but he, he's going to generate wind for you. Does have a similar power. Um, but the K rate is going to be similarly, maybe even higher. Look, you turn you turn the wind power into money. You know, you sell that right. as energy. You save on your energy bills. You save, That's called progressive yield. Come on, Justin. <laughs> yes, wind energy. convert And convert those dollars into players. You're saving money on energy because you're using wind energy. And you put that money on the field instead of, pocketing it but you know who knows uh no luke voigt the jock peterson thing though like it i don't think you can fairly say like oh we have payroll flexible we have payroll flexibility to add talent okay that's great i'm not I, I can't say fairly you can count a cesar hernandez or an eddie rosario in that because to me those are bargain deals that you do to make your club better when there's a good deal to be had Payroll flexibility to me is adding a significant player. I think you, you when you say things like that, it's flexibility to bring in. I'm not saying you have to go out and sign Freddie Freeman or um, you know even Nick Castellanos. I don't even want Nick Castellanos, and he's going to cost a lot of money. I'm not even saying that. I'm just talking about like adding a little. You know, somebody who doesn't make like five million a year. We're talking like maybe ten to fifteen million dollar player. Um, and, and money doesn't really matter here. I'm just saying the caliber that deserves it is what, I, is what I'm talking about. So like, like a Michael Conforto, okay? Michael Conforto is the guy you say, we have payroll flexibility. You add him, and then Cesar Hernandez is your bargain on top of that. That's Look, their, their payroll is, is in the 50s. You can't say we have flexibility and then say, and, oh, we're going to sign an $8 million player. That's our flexibility. No. That's not flexibility. That's just that's a bargain player. If you if you want to say that's your flexibility, I'm sorry, you don't have flexibility. You just have the bare minimum to fill out your payroll. Flexibility so they, is bringing in your Trevor Story. You know, giving Trevor Story an eight year deal like yes. Madison just got. 
that's payroll flexibility. Yes. That That's your point. And, and I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I, I think all of Cleveland's fans would get behind the team if they did that. You know, I tweeted earlier today that I would love to see Cleveland go after somebody like Chris Bryant. Well, I don't mention Kyle Schwarber, who I would love to see in a Guardians uniform, um, because I know that he's almost strictly a DH first baseman. Yes, he can play left field if you call it that, but um, he should play first base or DH. And I, I think, um, you know, Schwarber's market's going to get held up because of the Freeman. Teams are going to be in either or, because you're hearing the Jays on Freeman and Schwarber. So which one is it? You know, you hear the Rockies in on Chris Bryant, and I think to myself, if the Rockies can afford Chris Bryant, well, never mind. But the Rockies have been so far getting a few players, you know, so. I don't know what the Rockies are doing, man. I just don't know. I'm, I'm so confused by that. Um, They're going to ruin these guys and then trade them away. And, you know, it, it just c- continues to churn. I guess. Uh, Chris Bryant would be great. Kyle Schwarber would be great. I, I Kyle Schwarber, again, he's not a great left fielder. Oh, he was okay last year. I don't know if that's because he played a lot of games at Fenway Park that, that might have saved him. But Well, that's a good all think, back there. Right, exactly. I think, but I think like my ideally signing someone who's a left fielder and a first baseman is good because you know if you put Schwarber in left field, and look, Cleveland's got the mini monster. If if the if the big green monster kind of helped Kyle Schwarber play left field last year at a at an adequate rate, um, the left field Wong Cleveland is the mini monster. He could do that here, but you could also put him at first base if Bobby Bradley flops and you need someone to play there. Like you're giving yourself cover. Like let's say, let's say they sign Kyle Schwarber, um, and Bobby Bradley's terrible. Well, Bobby Bradley loses his spot to Kyle Schwarber and gets you some left field, Stephen Kwan. So you automatically upgrade two spots in your lineup by going to Kwan, and you still give Bobby Bradley his chance. And if he squanders it, you have Schwarber at first base. I think it makes sense. I don't know. Um, will they do it? Probably not. But I'm just saying it gives them cover there's a little flexibility there in that kind of deal. And again, that's the kind of play we're talking about. If that is your payroll flexibility, then yes. But anybody else, man, that's just bargain hunting. Like um, in 2012, we just talked about, we talked about Michael Bourne. They signed what? Bourne, Swisher first to a nice big contract. And then they signed Swisher after that. Uh, or Swisher first, then Bourne, because he was still out there on the market. And even that was a big deal. Yeah. Um. That was, I mean, they got a bargain for him, but it was still a, ma- a massive contract. Did it work out? No, it didn't work out um, because players like that often don't. So we're not saying, neither of us is advocating for them to go out and sign a, a 35-year-old player who um, doesn't fit and is not going to return the value on the contract. No, a Schwarber or a Bryant or a Conforto um, are going to return value, I think. Castellanos. Yeah, I, I saw someone tweet this earlier today saying, oh, he's the perfect fit for Cleveland. I've never been more convinced that this player is the perfect fit for Cleveland. He is not the perfect fit. Nick Castellanos is a terrible outfielder. Um, I'd have to look at his spray chart to see what would have happened if he played in Cleveland last year. I don't want to just use home road splits because that can be deceiving. Um, but if you look at his home road splits – he was great in Cincinnati, and he was mediocre on the road. So if you're paying for a mediocre hitter, again, who 
Like if, if you put Nick Cassianos in right field in Cleveland, is he an upgrade today? Yes, he is an upgrade, but your bar to upgrade isn't that high. So um, that's, that's kind yeah, of a that's, that's upgrading over me in right field, basically. Yeah. I mean, I've not been getting a lot of production out there. Yeah. So no, for what Nick Cassianos is going to cost for his defensive shortcomings and, you're getting a guy who really isn't going to be, isn't going to have the impact here that he did in Cincinnati, then no, he doesn't make any sense for them at all. Um, That's one of the guys I would not advocate for signing. So don't spend money stupidly. Go out and spend your money. You know, even, I don't know how much Matt Olson was going to make an arbitration this year, but. He was projected million. Okay. More, more than worth it. Way more than worth it. Yeah. Um, Which is why Cleveland would be interested in him too, because you know it's kind of like the Jose thing: is they've got a bargain for the for the um, talent and the output that you're getting. So, bottom line, if they sign Jock Peterson, that's fine. He's a Jock Peterson's a lot like Castellanos. He's an average ball player who, yes, he is an upgrade over Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado in your lineup. Yes, not. He's not an impact upgrade. You're taking, you're talking about, you know, um, like I said, going from an 85 WRC plus to 102. Like Michael, okay, you rotated, for example, with Fran Mill Reyes. What if you put yeah. Ran Reyes out in the outfield, you know, and just rotated the two of them? You're probably still going to get a below average outcome in right field. And even defense isn't the problem here. That's not the issue. The issue is. Even offensively, he's still not a major upgrade. Um, what was his uh, weighted runs created? Well, he's Jock is projected by Zips to come in with a 106 WRC plus this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and for reference, Michael Conforto had a bad year, quote unquote, bad year in 2021. His WRC plus was 106. So they're projecting Jock to have a bad year by Michael Conforto standards. That tells you the difference in impact. And obviously these projections are not always hundred percent accurate, but they're conservative. Um, so if Jock's, if Jock's projection is as good as Conforto's down year, that tells you the difference and how much money they're going to get. So you're right. Jock Peterson has not had an above average season offensively since 2019 we can throw 2020 out obviously because you know yeah that doesn't make any sense he was not good last year until the postseason that's i think he got some bad luck i think he was much better when he got to atlanta and settled in there he had some bad luck if you look at his numbers so he his average exit velocity was about as always normal as it was for his whole career and he's had a lot of good years before this so his average exit velocity was as good as it has been he had a better hard hit rate last year than any year in his career. Um, same barrel rate as normal. Um, max exit velocity has sustained. Um, by, so he, he had 238. Um, expected batting average had him at 243. He slugged 422. Um, expected slug was 440. So he, if he ends up not having bad luck based on expected stats, he probably winds up as a 100 WRC plus player, and he was at 94. So he's a league average hitter, and unfortunately, that's what Cleveland. That's an upgrade for Cleveland as a league average hitter. So, but that's the thing. This is uh, Jack Peterson's fine. 
but it's only good if it's your if it's not your only move. That's the so, thing. So it, I, I asked you the question earlier: Where do we go from here? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Trade trade. As far as the trade market's concerned, I don't know who else. I mean, you might as well forget Brian Reynolds. I don't think that's happening at this yeah, point. I don't, I don't, maybe Mullins. Um, you push on Mullins and trying to get Mullins away from the Orioles. Maybe, maybe he's a good player. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. They're they're definitely not ready to contend not with that pitching rotation. So maybe. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if a trade option exists for them now. I'm trying to look around to see who fits. Like, you know, I know you've and you've pushed around Garrett. Yeah, okay, Meadows. Yeah, Austin, that's a good point. Let's get to that. I, I don't um, think the Cubs are going to sell, so we might as well not even talk about Contreras or Hap. You know, my opinion. Yeah, that's over. When they're pursuing yeah, guys over. like Korea, um, I don't think they're selling. So, so Tampa Bay is supposedly in on Freddie Freeman. So I saw some. Some race fans speculate that if they signed Freddie Freeman, they would trade Austin Meadows. And one of our listeners, uh, Kevin Sheet, asked, "What do you think it would take to get Austin Meadows?" Um, so let's answer that question. Austin Meadows has three years of club control left. He he would bet. Now we didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about if they take away the shift next year, which could happen. It's not happening this year, but it could in twenty twenty three. He could benefit greatly from the shift being banned. Um, he's got issues against lefties, I think, but, um, so what do you, what are you giving up Willie? If, if, uh, you're going after Austin Meadows, cause let, let's say, let's say Tampa Bay signs Freddie Freeman and they decide that they're okay moving on from Meadows to replace some other spot in the roster. What are you giving up? So they're in the same position that Cleveland is, um, as far as 40 man roster and needing to roster people. And, and they have this continual roster churn every single year. They created that by design, give themselves a number of options. Um, they're also in on Suzuki and hope to hope to get him. And if definitely if they um, move Suzuki, I think that, or I'm sorry, if, if they sign Suzuki, then you know that they're going to probably move Meadows. Um, they also have Manu, Manuel Margot who has one year remaining and they pretty well told Kevin Kiermaier that he's not going anywhere. I think that's because they're not going to trade his $12 million contract unless they buy down a bunch of it. So he's not going anywhere either. I think both of those guys are in the last year or two of their deals. Um, do they really want to trade Meadows when he's got three years? I don't know what their depth in their outfield looks like. So I'm going to guess that they're going to ask for a player like Stephen Kwan, who I don't want to trade to them for obvious reasons. I want to be able to use Quan in my lineup later in the year. Um, another player I would bring up to them would be Richie Palacios because they like guys with versatility. Uh, I would push in that direction and then try to go possibly with a second prospect that's very young that doesn't need to be rostered for a while. You know, is that going to be like a guy like Jake Fox or another young player kind of like they got uh, – Oh, gee whiz, I can't remember his name. The one that they traded for Tobias Myers. Caminero. Caminero. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa Bay asked for John Kenzie Noel because you mentioned that Tampa Bay likes versatility. Well, they also like guys with high exit velocities. They love, that's why they love Yandy Diaz. I would bet they asked for Noel. And I don't know, that's, that's a, um, 
It's a tough ask. I don't know. You have to be really sure Austin Meadows is the guy that's – I could see them being interested in Nolan Jones maybe. Yeah. Um, young pitching, you can go any which way with young pitching. These two teams have matched up obviously a lot before, so there's familiarity there. Um, I'll be, I'll watch to see how that one plays out, but there's, there's definitely probably a match, um, possibly to be had. And that could be one that could be expanded too. I could, I could see them wanting to get another player. Like you said, maybe it's Palacios and Jones or something like that. And then Cleveland gets back one of their relievers. Um, that's something that Cleveland Mm -hmm. wants to do is add a couple of bullpen arms. Um, Antonetti mentioned that, uh, they got a catcher's I don't know if Cleveland would have interest in uh, Rene Pinto or Ford Proctor or not, but you know, there's, there's some talent in the the race system, just like there is with Cleveland. Cleveland doesn't need more young players, but they could use some catching depth, you know? So who knows? But I I think you expand the deal maybe and see what you can get done that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, when you've had past trades with those teams, it's much easier to work trades out. So that could come to fruition. I'll be curious to see what, I mean, it depends on what Tampa Bay does. If they, if they sign a Freddie Freeman or if they sign say a Suzuki, which is really interesting that Tampa Bay is looking to spend money. That's a bad look for Cleveland. Um, you, if they're doing that. So we'll see. You mentioned something that we haven't talked about yet. Um, so I wanted to bring it out. I, I know you want to get to some questions, but I, I wanted to bring out something you said, because I think people need to, to hear it, but you mentioned, how the short timeline is not beneficial for Cleveland's front office. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I I think that's pretty obvious, right? I think that um, Cleveland always has a a wait. I don't want to say a wait and see approach, but they they let the deals come to them. You know, they, they love to wait back. They love to get value. Um, That's what makes them hard to trade with. Is because they set their value on players and prices, and they don't back off. So trades happen when other teams meet their value. Um, same with signings as well. So the fact that all this has to happen, you know, sometime in the next week or two before the end of the month, I don't know. If, if I guess you know, guys can fly between Florida and Arizona, and all the spring training complexes in Arizona are close enough, but. Those are just trades, but um, look at the Matt Olson thing. That happened very quickly because Oakland was motivated to deal Matt Olson, and Atlanta didn't want to be caught if um, Freddie Freeman doesn't re-sign with them and Matt Olson gets traded. So they went out, uh, they were aggressive and they got him. That is not Cleveland style, and I think it hurt them a little bit there. You know, if, if Freddie Freeman, if Atlanta waits and Freddie Freeman goes back to Atlanta. <coughs> I think Cleveland's got a chance to get Matt Olson, but because Atlanta was proactive, they wound up with him and Freddie Freeman's still going to get a massive deal somewhere else anyway, but that's not Cleveland style. So the fact that they're, they're kind of a wait and wait back approach doesn't fit. Let the deals come to you, so to speak, instead of going and aggressively pursuing them. When you're aggressive, sometimes you end up overpaying and that's why they're not aggressive. They don't want to overpay. Um, you know, it, it's part of what they've done for years. And there's been articles on fan graphs where I think Loggenhagen has mentioned that teams kind of dread working with them on trades sometimes because they like to kind of drag their feet and they, they 
are very procedural, if you will. They do everything by the book and check all the boxes all the way. And this is their process and they're going to stick with their process and their process isn't going to change. And in a quick market, that process is not, you know, it's not as effective. And I think that's part of what we're seeing now. Um, mm -hmm. And they're not, just, they're not willing to leave their comfort zone. That's the yeah, thing. And, and teams not matching up on value. I think that's another thing is you can't, just because it looks good on paper and it looks good to us, we don't know what the other team is asking for. Um, what if the ask for Winker, for example, was, oh yeah, we'll we'll trade you Winker and Winker alone, but it's gonna it's gonna be Daniel Espino straight up. And Cleveland says no. Right. You know that Yeah, uh, and and who knows, you know, does this Matt Olson deal does Oakland does uh, Atlanta pay that much um three months ago? You know, did, did they pay more because of the accelerated timeline? Because they jumped the market before Freeman's. I, I think we thought that that Matt Olson wouldn't get traded until Freddie Freeman signed, right? And instead, Atlanta yeah. jumped the market, and and yeah. because they didn't want to be you know caught without a chair in musical chairs at first base, and um, did they pay more because of that? You're probably right, and maybe they wouldn't have had to do that back in December, but they couldn't because of the lockout, but yeah, this is the thing. It, this is a a unique circumstance that is um, it's not going to happen again for you know hopefully never never, but it might happen again in six years, the next lot in the next uh, CBA. But this is a this is a one time unique situation, so, so don't expect Cleveland. To, they're not going to change because of this situation. Yeah, they're more likely to make a deal with a team that they're already familiar with, like Tampa or, you know, the San Diego Padres, which is the exact reason I brought those out earlier, you know, as we've been talking, the teams like Cleveland, that's very procedural or, or very by the books, so to speak, you're more likely to strike a deal with a team that you're very familiar with and that you've worked deals with recently in the past. And that's where I think Austin Meadows could be in play. But I think that's one that it probably gets expanded on both sides where both teams are happy Cleveland gets a reliever and Meadows and then, Tampa gets maybe Nolan Jones and another player or something like that. Yeah, that's it's going to be a wait and see kind of thing, depending on what Tampa Bay does. It may maybe if more guys that Cleveland's not interested in, like a a Trevor Story, a Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, say a Suzuki, if Cleveland's not in on those guys, maybe that greases the skids a little to get things going, mm -hmm. and they can maybe start working on trades. Because to me, the trade makes the most sense because the roster imbalance still doesn't make sense. Not with how many infielders are on the 40 that aren't going to be major league ready this year, like Tana and um, possibly Freeman and Noel, those guys that aren't, aren't ready for big league action yet um, makes the roster imbalance so strange. So that's why trade still makes the most sense, but yeah, they're not going to change their approach just because of this unique circumstance. That's the thing. So this is why this is happening. Got a quick comment from, um, our friend Plutorius, um, if Jack Peterson is this, the signing for the G's, not one of many, we're going to be sitting and waiting for an excruciating amount of time um, while their teams make deals, including division rivals. That's already happened. That's already happened. Thanks for the comment, Plutorius. Um, that's already happened. The, the Twins have gone out and improved their team. They've been very active, and the White Sox don't really need to do much, but they've done yeah. some things, and – I think Minnesota is probably one of the teams in on Trevor Story. 
Or yeah, they are. I guarantee. I think that's why they traded Donaldson. Yeah, that's why they offloaded his money. Yeah, I, I I saw that move, and that was the first thing that occurred to me. Is like, first of all, who is uh, who's their shortstop? You know, I, I don't even remember who their shortstop is. So they need a shortstop. Trevor Story would make a lot of sense, and. Can you get him for a 200, you know, or maybe a little bit more than that? I don't know. I don't know what Minnesota is willing to pay, but you know, that's a move I would not be surprised to see Minnesota do. Uh, They're very similar front office, but they seem to be a bit more aggressive than, than our front office. Um, So I'll bring up another thing because they have Derek Falvey (laughs) who came from Cleveland. Yeah. So you, right. you kind of get um, Cle- the Cleveland MO, but you get it with a more aggressive approach. It seems like works out well. Let's um, let's real quick let's let's go through. We don't have to spend a lot of time on Luke um, Luke Maley and, and David Fry. And let's get to our questions. Um, Luke Maley, I don't know. I, I wrote him up. He's going to be tomorrow's player profile on GuardiansBaseballInsider.com. So go check that out. Those are um, not behind any paywall. So player previews is me, um, Alex. Um, Hudak from 216 Baseball Podcast and Jake, Joe Collins, who is our Guardians reporter this year, a student from OU. Give him a follow um, on Twitter. Um, but I, I wrote up Luke Maley for tomorrow. Good defensive skills, can throw out runners, um, a solid um, adding to defensive runs, defensive run save behind the plate, um, can draw a walk. That's about it. it. It's like the Austin Hedges profile. He can walk, he can play defense doesn't do much else. Yeah. That seems to be what they, their, their bar is for their catchers. Yeah. They put a high emphasis on defense. Um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Antonetti mention yesterday that they are still open to adding to the catching position. Is that right? Yeah. They're op- They're still open to upgrades. They said, yes. If they, if they present themselves, they didn't say we're not looking at catcher anymore. No, they, they said they're still, it's still a place they would consider an upgrade if the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. So I, I don't know I, what I that means. That maybe they make a package deal with Oakland and go after Murphy, who I've been kind of pounding the table for. Excellent defender, a, a much better bat than Austin Hedges. You know, you could always include Austin Hedges in the trade, and you're not really giving up the future with Lavastida, so to speak, and Bo Naylor. Um, and they have Shea Langoliers, you know. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm yeah. just thinking that there there is ways to uh, to upgrade the catching position. Um, that would definitely For be sure. a, an upgrade at the catching position, and then maybe you can bring back a Ramon Laureano with him or something like that, or even a Chad Pender or Lou Trevino. Yeah, I would say the problem with Murphy is you're not buying him for the bat. You're buying him for I mean, he's he's an offensive upgrade over Austin Hedges, but you're buying him for the defense and his youth. Um, because he's controllable long term, the bat's a little bit better. But yeah, if, if you that can't be your only bat upgrade, you know, as far yeah. as bats are concerned. So, and that's why that's you would look for there. another piece in that sort of deal. Even you know, you would look for the Loriano, the Trevino, or even Chad mm-hmm. Pinder, who would be a utility type guy, but he would be useful for Cleveland because if you're stuck with Brad Zimmer or even Jock Peterson in right field, you can always put Pinder out there with him, and you have a pretty good platoon. Right. Um, going on, on right there. You want to add anything on Maley or I think we covered it all? <laughs> no, defensive guy, like you said. I, I think if I remember, and this is from reading a scouting report, but it was an above-average arm. I've seen him 
a little bit when he was with Pittsburgh playing and thought that he was a good defender. Um, didn't really see a whole lot of him at, bat, at bats. I know he was with the uh, Blue Jays last year and then Milwaukee. So, again, uh, front offices that all have ties to Cleveland, um, a reason that I mentioned him jokingly with you earlier in the offseason, and here we have it. You know, it's my fault that Luke Maley is our backup catcher right now. Yeah, that's kind of it. Um, it's Hedges and Maley. And then David Fry came over as the player beating later for J.C. Mejia from early in the offseason. Uh, David Fry has got some pop. He's a uh, about an average defender, which is pretty good. Um, you know, about a two-pop time as far as catcher's concerned. He's throwing runners out at a decent rate. Not sure about framing, but, um, yeah. He's played uh, everywhere but shortstop in center field, you know, so. Yeah, he's got some defensive versatility. Not not a great hitter, but he has more pop in his bat and more game power than some of the other catchers, more than Luke Maley at least, so. Yeah, good, he's, he's not on the 40, but a good third catcher. Yeah, exactly. If, if you have to call him up, you call him up, and then you option him back, and you don't feel bad about it. You know, he's not going to stand in the right. way of Lavastida or Naylor for the future or or whoever, if it's Murphy or, or you know, they bring somebody in. Um, but it's a good guy to have as a depth option, and he has versatility. And what team doesn't like a guy like that, you know? Yeah, no, you're right, 100%. I think he's a good fit. Um, he's, I joked, he said he's the number three prospect in terms of catchers now, and it's not really a, um, a lot of praise, but he is their third best catching prospect now. So there's that. Um, yeah, good. That's a good get for JC Mejia. Really. That's a, that's a, as good as you're going to get. So I think you get a um, 40 catcher utility man for a 40 bullpen arm. Yeah. Uh, when you get in a position of need like that and, one that they particularly needed after the death of Andreas Melendez, you know, uh, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that that player to be named later to me was going to be probably a catcher from the Brewers because they had some depth in the system. I think that he was the player all along, but he would have been rule five eligible and Cleveland didn't want to name him and then end up losing him if there was one. So they held off until, you know, a few days ago. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to Jamie Renner's questions. Two questions. Um, his first question was, he'd love to know what the future holds for Matt Rosario. Is he traded or does he finish his contract in Cleveland? Um, I'll say he's traded at some point. I think there's enough shortstop talent in the system where eventually they're going to have to trade him. I think he's traded midseason. This year? This year. Wow. Okay. I, I would have to agree. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's traded sooner. I think that. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I mentioned Myers earlier. That would be a way that uh, you could offset a little bit of Myers coming. You know, salary is sending him out to San Diego, and San Diego could use some infield depth right now after Tatis uh, broke his wrist and, and is going to be out for the next three months. Yeah. Yeah, I could see him. I could see that happening. You're right, absolutely. There's there's your way to get Will Myers, or I don't know, and and Robert Robert Hassel, Hassel. really. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie's other question was: Is anything going to change when this ownership takes over? Uh, meaning David S. Splitzer. Um, that's a whole podcast by itself. To be honest with you, I don't know if we have a time to do it today, but we haven't heard a lot about it. I will say Zach Meisel from the Athletic did say. I don't know if it was on his podcast or if it was on 
one of his radio appearances last week, he said that uh, essentially that um, getting getting David S. Blitzer approved as the minority owner is all but done. It just needs, you know, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. It needs approval from league ownership. But I guess the deal in terms of um, Blitzer and Dolan is done. They just need league approval. That'll get done. I don't know when. But um, initially, I think things will change. I think initially they will spend more with David S. Blitzer around when he becomes majority owner, which is supposed to be around 2025, according to um, other articles out there I've seen. Uh, it's TB, TBD. I don't know. I think we have to, to have to learn a little bit more about him before we can say that. But at least from experience, we know that when there is a minority owner involved with the organization, payroll goes up with bot with uh, John Sherman. It did. So I think it's reasonable to assume more money will be spent with David S. Blitzer. And hopefully that happens soon. I, I, hope, I hope the Dolans know it's coming and they just spend the money now knowing that money's coming from David S. Blitzer here soon. That's my hope. So I, yes, in the short term, long term, I don't know yet. I'll go with the same. I mean, I, I agree. We don't know yet. Yeah. I, I wish we knew. I wish we knew. Um, Let's go to Kevin Sheed. Um, why, why is it so painful being a fan of this team? Um, well, I hate to say it. It's kind of the, the point we just talked about, right, Willie? It's that um, – We started the show talking they, about the Browns. So, you know, people from Northeast Ohio are gluttons for punishment. Why is it painful to live in Northeast Ohio? That's the real question that Kevin is asking. Why is it painful to live here? We got brain it's cold. cold. <laughs> it's cold. The Browns are stupid. The Cleveland is is boring. Uh, the Guardians are boring. The Cavs are fun. Yeah. What? What? Why is living in Cleveland so hard? Sometimes I don't know. No, I, I think I think being a fan of this franchise is hard because a there's the money aspect, yes, but b I think it goes to the point we just talked about. the The front office is methodical, and they don't change their pro they, they don't change their process unless they're given a good reason to and right now the process doesn't fit the situation very well um so that's why it's it's very hard right now is because they're not going to let a temporary situation change the process that works for them and um it's just unfortunately it doesn't work out for them in in today's situation it's not convenient for us because we want them to do something and then we want them to do it right now and that's not how they work, and that's not how they've been successful. They've not found success yeah. that way. They're going to stick with what they know and what has been successful for them. For sure. Um, and then we talked about Austin Meadows. That was a question from Kevin. We answered that. So, Kevin, appreciate the questions. Uh, Glenn Longwell, let's go with Glenn's question. Um, with the new system, oh, we didn't talk about this with the, um, the CBA. With the new system in place, is there any chance that – Stephen Kwan or Gabriel Arias uh, make the opening day roster. So the new situation is this. Um, teams can get additional don't draft picks if a, pl- a prospect on the roster makes the opening day roster and wins a, an award or finishes in the award voting. So let's say, let's say Stephen Kwan makes Cleveland's opening day roster and he finishes top three in rookie of the year voting. Cleveland gets a draft pick. I don't know. I don't know what the, how that all works out uh, specifically, but they get some sort of draft compensation for that. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I, I think it increases the chances. Yes. I, I think it does with, um, 
Quan anyways. I don't know about Arius unless they trade uh, Rosario in the meantime, which I don't really expect. Like I said, I think Rosario goes midseason, um, but who knows? I think Quan is more likely of the two. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think um, I, I think it does increase chances, though. I, I did like that part of the of the CBA. So, um, good question, and help us get to that as well. Uh, our own Stacy Hannon, to, to the pickups of Luke Maley and, and David Fry, take Sean Murphy off the table. Uh, well, Willie, you kind of answered that. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like the team will consider an upgrade if the opportunity comes along and. Sean Murphy, I think, is that the one opportunity left that might make sense. So, yep. Organically, we answered that one. Quincy, our buddy Quincy Wheeler. Um, who is the one guy you feel like is most likely to be added to the roster that is not on the team at the moment? Brian Shaw, right? It's Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw. <laughs> it's Brian Shaw. Oh, we man, could do an Andrew fun. Miller uh, reunion tour. That'd be pretty cool. Isn't he still on the Cardinals? See a free agent. I, I think he's a free agent. Oh, I could be part of his CBA. Yeah. It's going to be Brian Shaw. I'm telling you, guys. Oh man, Brian Shaw. I'll say Jock Peterson. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, for 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 once for once in my life, I'll believe John Morosi. I don't know. Um, yeah, Brian Shaw. Russian Owls got two questions. Um, what prospect with zero major league service time do you think we'll see most in Cleveland this year? Um, well, you got a good answer for that? I'm not sure I do. Zero service time with Quan or Nick Mikolochek? I think Mikolochek will be up mid-year. Oh, yeah. I'm going to copy off you. I'm going to say Nick Mikolochek. They they need another reliever, and they don't have a lot. And, um, uh, yeah, if they don't add one, they don't add a reliever. There's a spot open for him because uh, I can't say Carlos Vargas because he won't be ready in time at this point. No. Um, right, and Russian Owl also wants to know, are we buying the hype on Quan? Great numbers, uh, small sample size. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we're part of creating it. No, I, I'm buying it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know how high I'm, I'm buying the hype on, but I'm definitely buying the hype that he's – a a good major league baseball player. Like he's going to be a league average starter. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I think he can be an everyday outfielder. Um, <coughs> we'll surprise some people. Yeah. He's going to sneak up on some people with his power for his size. Yeah. Um, 20. I talked about this the other day on the Tigers minor league farm report or minor league report podcast with uh Rogelio Castillo and, and Chris Brown, the guys from there, good guys. Um, and I said, you know, a guy with his profile for contact and, and plate discipline, now that he can hit 15 home runs a year, that's a nice profile. So um, our next one is uh, buddy Chuck. He wants to know, um, says he's a big fan. Thanks, Chuck. Over under 100 at-bats for Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez this year. Over, under, under on both. Yep. I was going to say definitely for Oscar Nolan. I'm not so sure. I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under for no. I'm going to say under 100, but not zero for Nolan Jones. I, I might even say zero for Oscar Gonzalez. I don't see a fit. I don't know. Uh, last question from FFEJ's burner. 
Hmm, I don't know whose burner this is. Um, clearly, it's not a burner for Mercado or Zimmer. Um, what's the doom? What's the worst doomsday outcome for the outfield? Mercado, Straw, Zimmer, or Quan Straw, Palacio? So I don't hate the second one, but it's at least it's it's different at the very least. Yeah, I think your doomsday outfield is Mercado, Straw, Zimmer. Right? That's bad. <laughs> yes, that should be. That should be considered. Um, I don't think we'll see that though. Uh, well, that excludes Josh Naylor. I don't know. I don't know. That would be the doomsday outfield, but that should be some sort of crime against humanity if we see that. That's bad. Oof. All right. Well, Billy, we have gone an hour and a half, and I feel like it's been a great conversation, to be honest with you. Um, for for the very little the Cleveland Guardians have done, we sure found a lot to talk about. <laughs> I unfortunately I have to go and put my kids to bed. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I got stuff to do too. Um, check us out at the site guardiansbaseballinsider.com. Um, every day we've got a new player preview going up for the major league team, so those are free for everyone to read. No no paywall there, as I said. Uh, we've already got Oscar Mercado. Um, Today was Bobby Bradley. Tomorrow is Jose Ramirez doing it before he gets traded. We want to make sure we get that profile there before he's traded to Toronto. Um, and I'm sorry, tomorrow is Luke Maley. Tomorrow is the big offseason signing. I'm breaking down Luke Maley and then Jose Ramirez is the um, the next day. So we'll still get it in before he gets traded. He'll play one more game as a Cleveland Guardian because we'll run his player pre- preview and then he'll get traded. So. Uh, check that out every day. We're still doing the prospect uh, rankings and scouting reports. Today was number 20, Tanner Burns. Oh, we're down to number 19 tomorrow. Who is number 19, Willie? I don't even remember, to be honest with you. Maybe it's PD Halpin. <laughs> it's PD Halpin. That's why I asked you. 19 is PD Halpin, everybody, the podcast favorite. PD Halpin. Uh, you had his scouting report, correct? Yep. Exciting All right. So player. he's tomorrow. Yes, check that out tomorrow. Uh, PD Halpin scouting report. Um, definitely check that out. You can follow me on Twitter, jail underscore baseball. Again, if you're listening this long and you don't follow me on Twitter, that is wild. Uh, same for Willie. Uh, it's Will H O O nine nine on Twitter. Follow him. Um, follow the site on Twitter at CGBI official underscore CGBI. I should say. I didn't even type that right. Darn. I should be fired from my new job as a uh, cryon director <laughs> of, this, of this podcast. I'm doing a terrible job. Um, Somebody else is getting a bunch of followers. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, ever see GBI as you're welcome for the free press. Uh, we take donations. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you got this far, if you got this far and you don't subscribe, please um, subscribe, rate, podcast. If you can, leave a review. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks to everybody who listens, the loyal listeners. Thanks to the questions. Willie, I hope to whatever everybody chooses to pray to that we are back next week and we are talking about some kind of move. I don't even care if it's yeah, Jack Peterson. Too. Just have something next week to, to you know grease the skids a little. Give, give me a reliever not named Brian Shaw, and I'll be happy. We'll be back next week to talk about Brian Shaw's return to the Cleveland <laughs> Guardians. Until then, the Brian Shaw thanks hour. for listening. <laughs> the Brian Shower. Oh, thanks for listening. We'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Wow. <laughs>